How many of you like that song, Joy to the World? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you prefer to, I guess I could have asked the, the worship team to do the, is it Three Dog Night? They do the Jeremiah was a bullfrog version. You know that song? Joy to the World was a, a, a remains one of the most prolific like Christmas songs ever, uh, written in the 1700s by this guy named Isaac Watts. Uh, uh, he was a hymn writing uh, a genius. Over over 750 hymns attributed just to him, uh, like uh, "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross." And he wrote this song, "Joy to the World," in 1719. And and like I said, it, it's just grown in popularity each year. Like every person you know, every artist you know has probably recorded some version of it. it it's it, it is uh, the most popular and published Christmas hymn in North America. But there's a problem. Joy to the world is not a Christmas hymn. Do you know this? If you look closely at the lyrics, you'll see that it's a, a conspicuously absent or uh, anything that we just read to the kids in their story. Uh, there, there's, no, uh, there's no star, there's no angels, there's no... Um, manger, there's no Taylor Swift singing, there's no, there's no shepherds, there's no wise men. So if Watts wasn't writing a Christmas song, what is he writing? What's this song about? You see, Watts isn't singing about an event that happened in history, but Joy to the World is a song about some future moment. Uh, uh, to use a big theological word, it's an eschatological song. And eschatology just means what's going to happen when everything ends. What's going to happen at the, not, not at some point in history, but when the summation of history happens, that's what eschatology is concerned with. And this is what Watts writes. Watts sings about a moment where the Savior will reign again. He will rule with truth and grace. He'll put an end to sorrow and sin. The earth will again receive her king, and all heaven and nature will know it. And do what? Sing. Watch sings not of Christ's birth, but of Christ's return. And maybe this seems an inappropriate Christmas message but Scripture is filled with this idea. Scripture is consumed with this idea of Christ's return. In Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 37, it says, For in just a little while, the coming one will what? Come. And he's not going to delay. In Revelation, chapter 22, verse 12, it says, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. But there's a reality to this coming moment. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 10, if you wanted to check out Corinthians 1 and 2, man, it speaks so much about this return. But in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 5 and 10, it says, For we must all stand before Christ and be, what's the word? I know, it's not very Christmassy. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Speaking of this moment to come, uh, if you look at the words and the teachings of Jesus, he, he gets 
Very frank, actually. Jesus says that in this moment to come, some people in this moment of judgment, some people are not going to make it. He says there will be this broad gate, and it's an easy path, and he says many people are going to choose that path, but it's a path to destruction. But he also says, you know, it it doesn't have to be this way. There is another way. There is a narrow gate, and, and it's difficult. It's a difficult path, but if you find it, when the Lord is come, you will have reason to sing. And Jesus is the narrow gate. You know, after after Thanksgiving each year, we we climb into our attics and and we pull him down. We we dig him out of boxes and we, we, we carefully kind of unwrap him. We place them on our trees and tables and desks. And if you're really cool, you, you probably have figurines of him that light up in your front yard. We gather around him and sing songs to him. And then on New Year's Day, right, everything comes down again, right? New Year's Day or close, close to that, okay. After the New Year, at some point, we get the boxes down again and... We wrap him up, package him, box him up, store him safely out of sight until next November, right? It's happening already. I, I, I was reading a joke just before I got in here that, that stores are already putting out their Valentine stuff. You know, like, this season's over. Time, let's move on, folks. But it's happening with us, too. You know, even, even today, even though today is Christmas Day, we're already turning our attention back to our real lives. And the great irony in that is as we begin to make resolutions, as we begin to think about how we may may make life adjustments in 2017, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life is safely tucked away in our attics. In the New Testament, the picture of of Christ followers, of the picture of discipleship that Scripture gives us is a picture of men and women who are constantly making life adjustments based not on some past event, based not even on some present event, but the first century church wasn't, wasn't consumed with celebrating Christ's birth because they were too busy looking forward to His return. Can I get an amen? They make life adjustments based on the reality that one day we will all stand in the full presence of God. Scripture says, behold, I am coming soon. John 3.16 is a verse I'm sure you all know. In the first part of that verse it says, "For for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, and then that's, that's kind of our, the part we like the most, so we just kind of hang out there, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, put him in a manger, and we get to celebrate every Christmas on December 25th. But don't stop there, right? 
don't hold on to the moment of the time he came too much. Because it goes on to say, he came so that, and those words are big and important, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have what? And that isn't this moment, but some future moment. It's the moment that Isaac Watts writes about. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, verse 19, it says, these are powerful words. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, If our hope in Christ is only for this life, for this moment, for the present right here in this space, what's it say? We are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And what it says is, for all that this life is, for all that these moments have to offer, it is temporary. The only resolution that matters in the light of eternity is your belief in Jesus. The only life adjustment you need to concentrate on in 2017 is your relationship with Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, we're going to enter into a time of communion. In fact, worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and come back up. We've got tables set around the, set around the room, and communion is a part of our tradition, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. It's an important moment to remember Christ, to meditate on Him, to, to hold Him close to our hearts. But you remember what I said about 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is always seeming to look forward it, it doesn't want you to stay too long in the moment of Christ's death. Don't, don't get lost in that moment. Don't get lost in the moment of his birth. Not, and I'm not saying that those aren't, impo- aren't important at all. But it pushes us to think about some future moment. It makes me think of all of the videos we see online. Our news broadcasts, our YouTube is, is overwhelmed with the videos of soldiers coming home. Right? Have you seen these videos? These incredibly emotional homecoming moments. And Corinthians and all of Scripture says, that's what's coming for us. Look what it says, even in communion, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. It says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. And then look at those next four words. Until he comes again. It is because of Jesus that we have a future worth singing about. So, let every heart prepare Him room. Pursue the narrow gate. Take Jesus out of the attic. Maybe let him sit around for a little while longer. Believe in him. 
And so, so that when the Lord is come, you can sing joy to the world. Why don't you stand as we pray together? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your son. To, uh, what he did that day, being born that day, this, this incredibly dynamic and good thing of you sending a piece of yourself in, in the exact perfect way through, uh, through this vessel of Mary. And Father God, it's such a good moment and it's worth celebrating. But God, that moment was just a precursor. It was just a taste of some greater homecoming, a future event where you're going to come and restore this world. You're going to right every wrong. It's, scripture says it's going to be the end of tears. It's going to be the end of sorrow. And so, Father God, as we celebrate your birth, let us live for your return. Let us even now, as we enter into this time of communion, as we consider you, consider your son's birth, his life and his death, his resurrection. Father God, as we, as we eat that meal, even then let us consider your return. Let us anxiously await your coming. Let us not live for the temporary, but through a deep belief in you, pursue eternal life. It's a gift that you offer each and every one of us. So Father God, let us cling to you, hold to you. Let us anxiously pray and anticipate your homecoming. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. I invite you to enjoy a time of communion together.